Hey, Mighty Warrior, you know the great John Wesley once said that if you give him 300 men who fear nothing but God, hate nothing but sin, and are determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ crucified, he said he would set the world on fire. Do you know that one quote changed my life? Because after hearing it, God immediately gave me a vision to build a team of 300 men who would change the world for Christ. But I didn't realize it at the time that a man is the hardest thing to reach. And if you don't believe me, just ask any pastor or men's ministry leader or even a wife. <laughs> Now, due to the success of our Real Men Connect podcast, we've managed to reach and teach men all over the world in 43 countries and still counting. But John Wesley knew when he spoke those famous words, just like Jesus did, that there's a huge difference between attracting a passive crowd of men and recruiting a committed team of men. So we decided to launch the Real Men 300. The Real Men 300 is an opportunity for you to join an exclusive team of men who've agreed to financially partner with Real Men Connect to be personally mentored, supported, and coached so they can be professionally trained and equipped to mentor, support, and disciple the next generation of men for Christ. So we want to personally help you grow in Christ while you're supporting us in ministry. We're a nonprofit organization and we rely heavily on your financial support. So we're asking you to consider partnering with us by giving at least $30 a month, that's only a dollar a day, to help us help you be the man God called and created you to be. To give or to find out more, just go to realmen300.com. That's realmen300.com and join the 300 today. Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. Today we have with us my pastor, Terry Harris. He's the pastor of the Crossing Church located right here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is a ministry of the Church of God. Pastor Terry has served in ministry at the Crossing since 1994. And Pastor Terry and his wife Kay have three children and seven grandchildren. And all of their children lead in ministry locally as well as globally. In doing their leadership at the Crossing, he and his wife have led the church in following the Great Commission. They have established ministries that emphasize reaching people with the goal of building them into authentic disciples. They have founded Dream Central Chattanooga, a local ministry designed to inspire dreams and empower people. They have in international ministries in Thailand, Vietnam, Israel, Kenya, Cuba, Belize, and Russia, where they are currently overseeing the creation of other Dream Centrals using the existing Dream Central here in Chattanooga as a model for discipleship and leadership development. But I asked Pastor Terry to join me on the show today to talk to us about an entirely different topic, and it's about the wounds of our fathers and how to forgive them, as well as how to effectively and biblically heal from those wounds and possibly achieve reconciliation. Pastor Terry personally had to do this with his own father, who's now deceased, and I wanted him to share his story 
story with us and how, by the grace of God, he was able to make things right with his dad before it was too late. So please join me in welcoming my pastor, my mentor, and my friend, Terry Harris. Welcome, Pastor Terry, to the Real Men Connect podcast. Thank you, Dr. Joe. What a joy and what a delight to be with you, knowing about the influence that God has given you with so many men around the world. I look forward to it. And I'm excited. You know, I told um, Tanya that you were going to be on the show and she said, oh, you bring a pastor Terry on the show. And I told her what you were talking about. I said, oh, Joe, that's going to be a great topic for you and him to talk about. <laughs> and so I'm excited because, um, you know, my story, you know, my background, and I've had to go through the same process of reconciliation with my father and forgiveness. But I can't wait for you to share your story because you have a very, very powerful testimony. And Pastor, I told you even before you came on the air that I have so many questions and I hope to get to as many of them as possible. But as the Holy Spirit leads, I'll definitely um, dive in deeper to some of the answers that you provide to us as I ask you questions. But before we get started, I'll always ask our guests when they come on our show, every guy, and we've had a few women too come on the show, but I always ask them, uh, what is their favorite Bible verse or their anchor verse for this season in their life and where they are now with Christ? What, what word gives you inspiration from the Word of God and why? The scripture for me is 1 Corinthians 4.15, Dr. Joe, and it says, Paul says, even though you have 10,000 guardians or teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And I love that verse. It kind of shapes <clears throat> my world now over the last probably uh, 20, 30 years and as a pastor, not really understanding what the role fully meant whenever I started. I had a few experiences with the Lord. And just in the last few years, I began to have a greater realization that this whole idea of fathering, spiritual fathering, probably is one of the greatest needs in all of our lives. And the people I encounter all the time, including myself, the need in this area is just tremendous, and I'm so thankful to the Lord that he knows the solutions to our lives, and he's provided for that in himself and to others. So I'm excited about what is happening and what is going to happen. You know, and Pastor Terry, when um, Ty and I decided to come to the crossing, that was one of the things that attracted me to the crossing because I, it was obvious that you had a heart for discipleship. And it was so funny that when Tanya told me about the church, because she had visited the church before I did, and that happened to be the topic you were talking about <laughs> when, when I came. So I knew it was a divine appointment that we were supposed to be there. And like I said, we have a lot to jump into. And so I'm going to jump right into it, Pastor Terry. Um, I want you to take us back to your childhood and how it was growing up with your dad. And kind of give us the highlights um, as necessary. I'll just jump in and ask about specific parts if that's okay with you. Sure. And so just take us back to little Terry <laughs> when he, he was a kid and what it was like growing up in your home. I mean, even with your siblings and everybody else, as well as dealing with your dad. Sure. Well, I grew up uh, in the south, far further south than here is in South Georgia on a farm and uh, had five other brothers and sisters. So typical, probably farm family. In the sense of, uh, I realized later on they have a lot of children because they need a lot of help on the farm. Mm -hmm. So they're, ra they're raising their own help. <laughs> I was second in line. I have one older brother, and uh, my father was raised on that same farm that we were, that I grew up on as well. Probably about two or three hundred acres. Uh, but he worked uh, a secular job as well, and. Uh, he was the youngest of a family of five, and his father was an alcoholic who uh, they came through the depression and all the pressures and stuff like that. And 
Uh, his father was absent a lot, having to travel to make a living, etc. Uh, his father was uh, a man that had some rage issues. And I think being raised in that, it, it, it impacted my father. So that when I grew up, uh, we encountered, I didn't encounter alcoholism. I, I, my dad was a hardworking man. The worst vice he had was smoking cigarettes or a pipe. And, uh, but he, uh, he had an issue with anger and rage. And that proved to be probably the, the, the nemesis of what we struggled from. All of my brothers, mainly my brothers and my sisters, too, uh, have had the effect of that. And so being raised with him, he faced a lot of pressures, having six children's minimal income. Uh, and he would explode at times. And our home was a terror house at night. Uh, and many times when he came home, he just you just didn't know what what it would lead to. And over the years, and it, it never ceased, even <laughs> even to the point of his I was with him in his dying days. He would be one way publicly, but when he got with us, it was a whole different picture. And uh, so it was a it was a world of many beatings, uh, many verbal. Uh, barrages, not not vulgarity, but just total statements that I know now wound people to the depths of their psyche, to their souls. Um, but he was he was he was a good man. But even then, in those days, that's been a long time ago. I'm 63 years old. Um, the the public that knew they knew something was going on because uh, the way he treated us publicly but then they did not know the private stuff but uh, you know he was just he'd, go, he'd get out of control he would beat us his philosophy was that if you were not bleeding you had not been whipped and so you know he uh, and me and my older brother I'll just use this short uh, story here and give you a, a feeling for it me and, my, I'm, me and my older brother we're teenagers on a Sunday afternoon and we wanted to uh, go down, visit our friends, lived, uh, well, no, we, we asked to go to the creek to go swimming, and it's about a quarter of a mile down the road. So instead of stopping at the creek, we went on down another mile to our friend's house and got caught up playing with them, and my dad apparently went to the creek looking for us, couldn't find us. I guess he was frightened that maybe something had happened to us, but when he did find us, uh, he actually sent my mother and my brothers and sisters to my grandmother's house which was i don't know a quarter of a mile away and he he went out and w they used what they called gallberry switches and uh there was just a switch that was pretty stout and when i say a switch it was a stick and he had three of them about six feet tall he beat them down to a stub uh on each one of us and you know the marks of that left us unable to be public for a few days now that was the, that we call me and my older brother call that the mother of all beatings but uh <laughs> i've seen him in anger hit my younger brother in the face with a big old leather belt first time he swung it broke the belt he would be in the yard beating us and the dog <laughs> our pet dog would try to eat him alive you know it was just a situation like that but you know dr joe the beatings were one thing but is the words that of put down that we heard 
I think that probably affected me the most. I don't know about my other brothers and sisters, but uh, and everybody deals with it uniquely. You just live life. I mean, my my story is nothing compared to most, but it did have its impact, and it took me a long time to realize, you know, dude, you just need to do something about this. And so, uh, learning how to recognize it, and then finally coming to a place to say, okay, I need to, I need to do something. Uh, that was that was significant. All right. And Pastor, you did an excellent job in giving us a snapshot because, man, I mean, I'm sitting here as I'm hearing your story and I'm I'm wow. uh, You know, because it kind of takes me back to even my childhood of dealing with the verbal and even some of the physical part of it. But I can tell right now I'm not going to get to all the questions on my list already, (laughs) just based on a little bit that you just shared, because I want to dig. I'm going to stop right here and dig a little bit deeper into this, because one thing I like that you just did. You gave us some context about your dad's dad. And a lot of times as children, and I, I maybe I'm just speaking for myself, a lot of times as children, when we go through the trauma and we deal with the anger and we deal with, oh, they're not treating me right or I'm being mistreated or whatever it may be, we never stop to think, what kind of parents did they have? You know, and because I, I it was it took my brother to help me see that, that he had me stop and pause and said, you know, have you ever thought about what kind of dad did our dad have? And I never really did that. So one of the first questions I want to ask you that really wasn't on my list. But now that you mention it, did you ever get a chance to meet your grandfather? Yes, I did. Uh, my grandfather died when I was 10. So I knew him for the first 10 years. And and uh, Joe, all I knew about him was he was always mad. He was always angry. Even with the grandkids? Oh, he had no relationship with the grandkids. Uh. We were a, we were a pest to him. I can remember, you know, like I say, I was raised on a farm. Well, we didn't have horses. We had cows. We'd get out and ride his cows, and he'd be so angry. <laughs> <laughs> and my grandmother was only, she wasn't even five feet tall. And I can remember that this image stands out in my mind. So she didn't do one day what he demanded he that she do and he got so enraged that he was going to come out there and i guess he was physically going to assault her and my aunt grabbed him and held him down he wasn't strong anymore but that's just how belligerent he would become and that belligerence um whereas my father didn't have alcoholism as an addiction that belligerent became belligerence became an addiction all right. And how did you observe um, your grandfather's relationship with your dad, even as because you're only 10, so you can only kind of take in so much. What did you what was your perception of their relationship? I really don't have a perception of that. Now, my dad lived his life, I think, trying to gain my grandfather's approval. Mm-hmm. Don't we all? <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. That's really what this is all about, I think. Yeah. It's yeah. how powerful fathering really is but uh the the greatest thing that i saw in in the relationship was when my grandfather in his dying days my dad actually went and stayed for at least a month there taking helping my grandmother take care of him because they didn't have you know hospice or anything like that then you they died in their homes so uh he he helped take care of him those last uh, 30 plus days uh, really just him and my my grandmother but uh I see that now through the lens of my dad really trying to, you know, be something special or significant to my grandfather. So did he not talk to you about it at all or any of the kids about his relationship with his dad? No. All we ever heard was that he was an alcoholic, 
my dad would have to go haul him out of the bars when my dad was a young teenager. Down, they'd moved to down into Florida during the uh, Depression days, <clears throat> and uh, my dad many nights would have many times would have to go take him out of the bar and get him home because he'd be so drunk. That's all I knew about it. All right, and before we get into the other questions, I did have another follow up question based on what you just shared. Um, your dad, like you said, your dad didn't struggle with alcohol, but your grandfather did. Where do you think your dad's rage and anger came from other than it just, you know, he saw his dad like that. But what do you think that came from? What was do you think driving that? anger? did you notice anything in his life that caused him to be constantly angry? Nothing other than just the pressure of having of life, having to supply the needs for you know, six children, et cetera. And like I say, we farmed a farm, plus he worked a, uh, a, a, a public job. Other than that, I don't have anything that I identify with other than my youngest brother actually has gone for counseling. I didn't know it till afterwards. And the counselor told my, my brother, your father did not have alcoholism, but he was what they referred to as a dry drunk. Hmm. So explain that to us, Pastor Terry. I wish I knew clinically how to do it other than the substitution, maybe what alcohol would do for somebody, taking them out of uh, maybe reality and give them a moment of relief. Maybe the, the rage brought them a sense of relief of some sort. And it became it became addictive. It became a personality trait that he exhibited around us. Strange thing is he didn't exhibit it around others unless it was about us <laughs> wow and so let me ask you this because he, he was one way privately and one way publicly um what did you notice about how he treated your mom what was his relationship with, with your mom and what you guys saw in the marriage what did you see he was very abusive verbally to her emotionally emotional what i call emotional manipulation uh and such as now uh, you know I'm not aware that he ever, ever physically hurt her. Me and my older brother waited on him to do it one time, and you probably would have read about us in the news. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I can remember this as a young boy, say five years old, and th there was only two of us then, listening to him yell at her at night. And, of course, our room door would be closed, and, and uh, you know, us just leaning against that door, thinking that she was going to leave. And I remember one night, yeah, she was. Boy, we burst out of there and, you know, if she's going, we're going. But um, that was, he was very abusive, in my opinion, very disrespectful. And she loved him and I believe he loved her. But how to express that properly, he was, uh, he didn't score well in those categories, Joe. And it was something that we all totally resented. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how long were they married, Pastor Terry? Oh, they were married 50 something years. And my mother is, um, you know, she's a wonderful lady, brilliant lady. And I'm not and her her father died when she was 10. So she probably grew up with a great hole in her heart and uh, did not know anything other than. Of course, there's a little bit of the characteristic of people in those days. You just you just hung in there. You stuck together physically. He never did anything but verbally. And I'd say emotionally, it was a tough life for her. Wow. And with your siblings, you said pretty much all the kids were affected by your, your dad's um, behavior and, and the things that he did. 
And now we know, and I mentioned in your introduction, that you have a great family. You have kids and a lot of grandkids. And with a great um, wife and family of your own, a lot of men wouldn't have felt the need to make things right with their dad. You know, sort of one of those things you always hear it all the time. I'm going to be a better man than him. I'm just I can't wait to leave this house. Get out of here. I'll never speak to this man again. That kind of thing where they like you said, they have the resentment. But why did you even want to or felt the need to have a relationship with your dad after you were able to leave? Well, just a spiritual thing, uh, Joe, the fact that Jesus said, it's in Matthew 18, if you don't forgive, you know, then I'll turn you over to the tormentors. And uh, I really believe what he's illustrating there is that our unforgiveness opens us up to inner torment that there is no solution to beyond our own personal decision and actions to go through whatever it takes to be to be a forgiver. <clears throat> and uh, my home was not a home where you had conversations of any depth. Pretty much his opinion was the only opinion in the house that was allowed. And, um, you know, so you didn't learn how to sit down and talk to him. You didn't learn how. And. He was just a stubborn person, and uh, that made it really hard. And even though I had worked through my own personal realization, and I did my own private praying about it, and uh, but then helping many others. Of course, you're aware that we did have done many men's, what we call transformations, where we take men off for a couple of days, and one of the sessions is about forgiveness. And... Um, being willing to forgive. And we do a whole deal about father wounds. So I've helped many other people through that. I mean, I would stand in as a father for someone who couldn't talk to their father and do that conversation. And so I do that a lot. And I saw what it did for others. But then inside of my own self, I knew this is not settled inside of me either. Now, for me, Pastor Terry, it, it took until I was 27 years old to, to do something about it. How old were you when you realized, you know what? This is eating me up and I need to do this because you're, you're maturing in Christ. You're walking with God. And now you realize that you have to address this. How old were you at the time when you, you got it that I need to do something? I would say probably in my 40s. Mm -hmm. But I did not walk it through to the place I needed to until right before he died. So that's been probably until my mid, mid late 50s. Okay, and we're going to get back to that, and because I, I want you to unpack that for us and what that was like. Um, but now I, I got to ask you a question that really now is going to get a little bit deeper to the core, because you know we try to get away from the kind of fathers that we had, or it could have been the father was never there in the home. My dad wasn't there when I was growing up, and so I didn't get to experience that. But my stepbrother did, and he told me that it probably was best that I did not grow up with my dad, <laughs> uh, because he had to deal with everything else that I did not have to deal with. I just had to deal with him not being there. Um, but how do you think? Um, that growing up with your dad, that what kind of influence or how do you think he's a, he affected you as a husband and a father? Because you probably saw him and knew what you didn't want to be. But we know how that works out. If you only focus on what you don't want to be and you don't have a model of what you do want to be, that can end up becoming a problem. How do you think it affected you or influenced you, his influence had on you? Well, there are negatives. And uh, you can always say, I'll not be that way. But yet, as you get older, you see 
my goodness. Oh, yeah. I sat the stocking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I have a wife who will not tolerate it. <laughs> and uh, on it, not sometimes, but every time. <laughs> so uh, that's been a great uh, balance for me. And, uh, you know, but the <clears throat> even how I began to get over it, Joe, because I had to go before the Lord and say, look, I don't think this is settled inside of me. I didn't know how to forgive him. Couldn't talk about it to him because he would deny it. But uh, one day, I don't even know if I'm answering the question you've asked, but I'm going to move on here. <laughs> yeah. And if we, if so, we'll get back to that same question. Okay. <laughs> I'll get I'll be more specific. But go ahead. <laughs> well, one day uh, or at some point, I just begin it. The Lord began to make me think about the good things in my dad's life. He worked hard. He provided for his family. He came home every day. He did not cheat on my mother. And, uh, you know. There was a lot of good things. And so he said to me, the Lord said to me, I want you to just start being thankful for the good things. And when that began to happen, release, I guess, is the way to describe it. And, you know, then I began to realize, who am I not to forgive? Because, obviously, I've been forgiven for so much. And I guess the moment when the Lord transitioned me to a different perspective and it began to be a perspective of being thankful for the good things now, I recall it was a strange thing to me all my days that all of my brothers and sisters none of them wound up having to spend time long in a jail cell all of them grew up to be responsible, uh, productive people. They all were people of, of notable faith. They all serve the Lord. They've been married and raised children in a good way. You know, I just began to realize, you know, there had to be a whole lot more good in him than what I had given him credit for. So I guess I had to get past some of my own wounds and then, and in doing so, I found a fresh stream. Doesn't take away the pain, but it does give, I think, better understanding. And I've learned over the years when you can better understand someone, like what happened to them, what made him that way. It was a great help in me getting past whatever that barrier was that I had inside. So anyway, uh but you know what, Pastor Terry, as you, you share that, it, it it resonates in my heart because I knew with my dad and the resentment that I had built up and the anger for him not being there. And even when I was exposed to him, um, he wasn't what I what I wanted him to be or what I thought I needed him to be and very demanding um, would say things that would just cut you to the core, <laughs> you know, but I remember my brother telling me. And my brother had to shake me up a little bit. And he says, um, Joe, you got to stop looking at him as being our dad. I said, well, that's what he is. Why Why do I have to stop looking at him being our dad? He said, no. He said, see, you're looking at the kind of father you want to be to your son. 
And I'm looking at the kind of father I want to be my son. And we see how we treat our sons. We will never treat him, treat our sons the way our dad treated us. He said, but have you stopped to see him not as your dad, but as a boy? And I never, Pastor, I never stopped to look at my dad as being a boy. And I had a chance to meet my grandfather, his dad, and briefly, and I understood. And now, ironically, my dad, when you hear him talk about his dad, you, he all he talks about is the good <laughs> in his dad. But but my grandfather, I'm dead, he was meaner than a rattlesnake, <laughs> you know. And so, I mean, he was sort of like how your grandfather were with you guys. <laughs> That's how our grandfather was with us, <laughs> you know. But what was so funny about it, and I can see now why my dad loved him, was the fact that when my dad wasn't around, we would talk about my dad in a negative way. And my grandfather would defend him, right? And I'm thinking, you just cussed him out. And you defended this man, right? And But so, there, like you said, there was some good even in my grandfather that I didn't see. That he was going to protect the honor of his son. You know, even though he missed, I saw him mistreat his son all the time. You know, but when you said that, that made sense. Because when I was able to see my dad as a little boy, um, my heart broke. For him, because, you know, the relationship you have with your children now and your grandkids and to think that our dads never experienced that with us. And what if I, you know, what if my kids were being how my kids turn out or what would happen to them if I treated them that way? Um, And and I should know better because I work in education and you see a kid who's being abused, um, you know that. There's something going on that there's some wounds there in the person who's abusing them, you know. So when you said about being thankful I, and and it just, it makes perfect sense. Now, I, but I got to ask you this, Pastor Terry, what was the biggest obstacle or challenge for you in overcoming the unforgiveness? Because you know you had to do it, but it doesn't mean it was easy. What what was the biggest challenge for you to overcome? I didn't want to do it. <laughs> you didn't want to do it. <laughs> I don't know. So I, what did you think was going to happen? Because you that comes from a fear. What what were you afraid of that if you did it, this was going to happen? That's why you didn't want to do it. You know, that's a good question, Joe. And maybe I was afraid of uh, having to get rid of the resentment, the inner, whatever that is psychologically that somebody has to where they feel like they've got some power by holding on to something. Maybe that was it. I, I don't know, but... Um, Honestly, I just didn't want to have to do it because I knew I, I knew I would need to do it uh, with him in some way, which I did eventually. I don't I don't know that my father ever has a had a clue of the anguish that he instilled in his children, even when he died. I mean, we I so believe in honoring your fathers and your mothers. And uh, even to the point, it's hard for me to talk about it publicly. It's the first time I've ever done it. But uh, that I, I, I didn't want to be dishonorable to them, to him. And uh, But at the same time, it's just one of them deals where you think, oh, yeah, what is this? There's nothing. Just live with it, man. Get up and get on. Get over. Forget it. Which is how pretty much everybody does. But I don't think that's the complete way. I think having the ability to 
be free from whatever that unsettled feeling is, is the healthy place. Okay. Now, because you, you, you just hit a nail on the head. A lot of men feel like, okay, it's water under bridge. Okay, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm moving on. What would you warn them about for staying in that place where they think, okay, I'm not going to try to reconcile. I'm not going to try to seek forgiveness and whatever, but I can live my life just pretending that I never had a relationship with him. What are the dangers of walking that out in that reality? The greatest danger is you're going to become what you so resent. Hey, boy. Phew. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Here, there, there's, a, there's a saying, you've probably heard me say it uh, before, contaminated seed can only produce contaminated fruit. And when I'm harboring that or any such there is a contamination there that if left, that poison will spread. And um, even though you fully intend for it never to be known or out, it <clears throat> it's going to come out in the bad way. And the people you love the most will be the people you hurt the most. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I wrote a poem um, years ago. I even hate to admit it, <laughs> but, but I wrote a poem years ago called um, The Man I Love to Hate. Ooh. Right. And it's a poem about the man I love to hate. But in the poem, it says, what do you do when you become the man you want to date? And because what I had realized, I had reached a point when I had blown up my marriage and everything that I had become my father. And, I, and that was the man I had all this anger and resentment towards. And I had become him. So I'm like, OK, I knew about this anger I had towards him. But what do you do when now you're you've become that man? And then I think that was probably one of the beginning of me learning that I had to, like you just said, that if if it's contaminated seed is going to produce contaminated fruit. I had to get better. I had to get well, because now the sins of the fathers passed on to me. And, and, and God just has a great way of dealing with us because you're not going to get away from it. And I hope the men out there who are listening to this, I hope they get the understanding that they're in denial if they believe that they can just distance themselves emotionally from this and then not have some type of influence on them. It is going to have some influence. And so that that hit really close to home with me, with, with my dad. You know, but I want to ask you this, Pastor. Um, we know that many men want to um no, and they let's say they've, they've accepted the fact, you know what, this thing is killing me because it does more harm to you than it is the resentment that you have towards your dad or whoever it may be. But they're too afraid like you were. You say you just didn't want to do it. You just didn't feel like doing it. And sometimes they fear rejection or disappointment um, when they're going to confront um, their dads about their past hurts and their wounds. And so they don't have enough courage to do it. And I also agree with you what you said, too. Sometimes. We've taken on th that resentment and that anger becomes part of our identity. We don't know how to survive without having that resentment and that anger. It, it drives us to, uh, to whatever, whatever we're doing. But so my question to you is, how did you get the courage to do it? And what would you suggest men do who lack that kind of courage in taking that first step, even though they don't want to do it? Well, I think that, you know, for me, it was a realization that it's not going away. And I would... The Lord expected me to do something about it. I could not go back and change what had happened, but I could do something about what was happening in me. So I felt like it was a spiritual responsibility. Um, the uncomfortableness about having to talk about it, 
et cetera, and all those kind of things probably was part of it. But then also I think it helps to realize that, you know, forgiving someone else is not necessarily always reconciling with someone else. And I'd like to explain that just a little bit. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not necessarily the same thing. Forgiveness is not an option for me as a believer. And that motivated me. Reconciliation is a two-party issue and sometimes can be beyond us. It takes the other person admitting, uh, owning up to. And I personally felt like that my father probably would, number one, he would be hurt for me to tell him how he had been towards me and towards us. But secondly, I'm not sure he would have received it. But that is their responsibility, not mine. And so when I say there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, the Bible says, you know, be at peace with all men as much as possible. And so there there could be a limit to that. But uh, finding out that it's a responsibility that I have to face up to, doing something about it myself, understanding that forgiveness is a choice plus an action, if it's possible, and uh and realizing that when you do this, don't go don't go to a person to uh, seek their forgiveness. You go to them to offer yours, uh, because you may not re- you may not receive what you're expecting you should. That's more rejection. It can be more resentment if you're not prepared right. And uh, but realizing that when I'm released it. I personally inwardly released it first before I ever went to him. I didn't go to him to get the release. Gotcha. And see, and I think that's a very important point that you make because um, I had some brothers around me, not my stepbrother, but I had some spiritual brothers around me who encouraged me. When I say encouraged, that's being nice. They kept <laughs> kicking me in my butt. So you're going to talk to your dad or what? You're going to talk to <laughs> And they, this is when they had promise keepers. Remember promise keepers? Mm-hmm. And so we would meet every week and they would always bring up my dad. And I, you know, like, and I felt like you, I don't want to do it, you know, but they wouldn't, they were relentless about it. And so when I went to my dad, I did exactly. And I thought they were they had lost their mind when they told me to do it. They said, OK, now when you go to him, Joe, you're not asking you're not offering him forgiveness. You're going to ask him to forgive you. I'm like, have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? I said, I'm not going to ask. What did I do to him? Now, I was defending myself, you know, but as they continue to minister to me, it was exactly what you said, Pastor Terry. I, I went there and I and I asked him, I called him up and talked to him. And told him and asked for his forgiveness for my anger and resentment towards him and how I hardened my heart. And I did not ask um, for him to do the same to me. I wasn't expecting him to do anything. But I tell you, once I said those words and he forgave me. And when I said those words, I just when I got off the phone with her, I just broke down crying. And my mom was there at the time. She said, baby, what's wrong? And I said, mama. I said, 27 years. She says, what? I said, Mama, 27 years. I said, I've been holding on to that. And now I feel like the weight of the world has just been taken off my shoulders. And he didn't ask for my forgiveness. I didn't get anything. I didn't expect anything except to express that. Will you forgive me? 
of how I felt towards you. And it just freed me. So I'm hoping that the men are listening to what you're saying because I'm seconding that because they're thinking, oh, Pastor, he's just crazy. (laughs) I don't believe it. No, he's got two crazy people who walked through this process. But that's a great um, transition to getting us back to your dad. You say you were in your late 50s when you when you decided, because that means you held on a lot of years, Pastor. So take us now back to that moment when, take us through the process, give us the highlights of that, uh, how that relationship happened and you came together and what happened as a result of it. Actually, he, um, he was sick for several years with some kind of a a blood disorder that never was diagnosed as cancerous, but uh, eventually it came to a point and uh, he was in the hospital. They called me and told me, uh, and I traveled down to see him, and uh, we were standing around the bed when the doctor came in to tell him that you know there's nothing else we can do, and you're going to die. And so, with you know all my, I guess all my brothers and sisters around there, I'm trying to remember if my mother was there or not, but I think she was in the room when did. Anyway, we're just standing around the bed there in the hospital, and he said he wanted to go home. And so, you know, I just took that occasion to to say to him that I thanked him for being, you know, a, a good dad, for doing the things that he didn't have to do and providing and protecting, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and just honestly, I think I was letting go what the Lord had brought me to in my own personal prayer time about being thankful and 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 just saying to him, you know, when you look at all the kids around the bed here, they've done well. They're going to take care of mom. And, uh, you know, the the purpose, I guess, for his life was still going to be fulfilled. And uh, and in doing that, I, I guess not just for me, maybe for him, but I think maybe for my brothers and sisters, it was also. Uh, a greater point of release because I mean, I know my brothers, I don't know that much about my sisters, but I do know my brothers have had their struggles with it. And, uh, you know, I think that that moment was the, it was the moment that I can, and I do look back to that. I, you know, was able to say something to him authentically because most of the other stuff had always been somewhat, uh, veneer, but authentically thanking him for that. And, you know, at that point in front of those people, I did not bring up those things. I've had, I've had other conversations with him privately, but that was a, really on his, his dying days. Matter of fact, he went home that day and within three or four days, he was, he had passed away. Uh, so I think that for me was, uh, the, the point of, I guess completion in a sense that I was able to really say a thank you to him that was real and uh, that, you know, whether he knew it or not, I was done with it. Sense or not, Joe. Yeah. Oh, no, it does. It makes perfect sense. And Pastor, you know, I tell you, we have something called the man up questions. And I don't even think I'm going to get to them because I have several questions I still want to ask you about. And I think this is too important of a topic because there are a lot of men out there who are hurting. I mean, seriously, seriously hurting. And one of the the oldest guys that I'm mentoring now and discipling, which is going to sound crazy to a lot of people listening, he's 83 years old. And this man 
um, has a lot of deep father wounds and he's 83. He has great grandkids now, but he still remembers the pain his father caused him when he was six. And so this thing goes so deep and he didn't get a chance to reconcile with his dad, but but his dad's the memory of his dad's words are still living with him. And I was hoping with this show that we're going to set some men free today. Um, by giving them enough courage to do this and that they can't do this. So if you could, could you walk uh, walk a man through the process? Because you've given us a lot already, but if you had to systematically walk him through a process of forgiving um, his dad um, or seeking forgiveness, what advice would you give him on what to do first, second, or third, or whatever? Well, of course, it, it's conditional upon if they're still living, if they're able to have some kind of conversation with them. And even if not, there's ways, hopefully, to be able to do that. Give us uh, both ways, Pastor Terry, because okay. that was going to be another question I was going to ask you. What if your dad has passed away and you're going through it? Give us both. I think, first of all, recognize there's a hole in your heart that is not going to be healed until this is something that I, I recognize and I bring myself to the point that I'm ready, I'm willing to, to do what I can do about it. And I can only do what I do. So the realization, you know, is there. The second thing is the realization of how powerful that wound is. You know, and you cannot just partially do this. It's Jeremiah 6 and 14 says, They dress the wound of my people as though it was not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. So, in other words, King New King James said they just slightly healed them. We cannot just be slightly healed. We've got to allow whatever the Lord wants to do in us to take us to the depths of the pain, all the way back to the six-year-old that the 83-year-old still remembers, and, uh, and, and let the Holy Spirit just wipe that clean. Thank God for the cross and the healing that Jesus gives us there. So I'm recognizing, I'm realizing that it's not going away, that I'm the one that needs to be healed, and, and that I'm ready to repent myself for allowing this to still be there and for whatever feelings, resentment, or unforgiveness might have built up inside myself. Uh, taking it to the Lord and working your, yourself in the Lord through that process. And uh, that process could be long. Realizing what forgiveness is not. It's not approving what they did. It's not denying what they did. It's not excusing what they did. You know, it's it's um, and it's certainly not forgetting what they did. They will say forgiving is forgetting. That may not be possible. That may not be possible, and that's okay. Realizing that's okay. It is a decision that I'm making to bring this before the Lord and let the Lord direct me. If I need to go to the person, I go to the person, and I need to say to them what I need to say to them, and ask like you did with your father, ask for forgiveness. Um, and, and, and realizing that there is a point where you can know you have forgiven them. And it's uh, not only just the emotional release, but I think there's also just uh, a uh, there's things that we about us that change that we can know inside that that part of our life has changed. Uh, so I'm not being as deline- I'm not delineating probably as clearly as, as I would like to. But realizing this is not going away, I need to deal with this for my sake, 
but also for the sake of people I love. Or not, if not, then I'm going to very likely perpetrate at some level the same thing on somebody else. Knowing where to go, take it to the Lord, repent of it, and then follow through with the scriptures. As the scripture says, if a brother's offended you, you go to him. And uh, and 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 knowing that this is a process as well as a daily decision. And once you've done it, once you've forgiven them, as I said, it's not necessarily forgetting what happened. Neither is it always taking the pain of it away. But it's the livingness of it, the bitterness of it, the gall of it that wants to reintroduce itself to us. We make decisions on a daily basis that that forgiveness is the position we're going to stand in. Yeah. And Pastor and now what would you add to that for a person whose father is no longer with them and they don't have the chance now to to reach out and connect and make things right? I think, first of all, and this goes for both sides, whether they're living or not. Realize you have a father that does love you and believe in you and speaks well of you. And of course, that's God, the father. And so you can go to him and you can say to him, you know, the things that you need to say. Sometimes you may want to write it down as if you were writing a letter to your father. Some people go to, may go to the, to the burial place and, and just talk it out, speak it out. Um, it'll make a difference in, in many different ways. We have, I have learned also that if it's needed, and I've seen this over and again, where I have someone stand in proxy for someone whose father's not there and let them just, as I've stood there and repented for things I've said and said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. That's not really what I feel about you. Those kind of moments uh, seem to be really helpful for people. And um, I don't know if they have a chance to be around or have find a spiritual father yourself that you can come to a point to confide in and let that spiritual father help you overcome some of those barriers. Cause that's what they are. They're barriers that we just don't, we don't go beyond, you know, and I'm glad that you shared that. Um, we're, we're both big fans of RT Kendall, um, who wrote some, some of the best books I've ever read on forgiveness. One is um, Total Forgiveness and one is Forgiving Yourself Totally, I believe is the name of the book. But you had touched on about how, and I'm glad you mentioned this, about forgiving and forgetting. A lot of people think, that, oh, I, well, I'm supposed to forget to. No, it's not about forgetting. But I like how R.T. Kendall says it. He says, no, you don't have to forget, but you don't have to keep reminding them of what they did. <laughs> that's good. You know, and that's been a staple to me is that if I, and I love what he also said. He said that um, forgiveness is a, a lifetime sentence. And, I said, and the way he explains it, he says that just because I forgave, you know, even though I asked my dad to forgive me um, and I had to forgive my dad and release that is not a one time occurrence because, you know, the enemy is going to be relentless and the enemy is going to bring back to your remembrance because you won't forget and you have to forgive again and you have to forgive again. So I like that um, RT pointed that out. That it's a lifetime sentence. You don't just forgive one time. You have to constantly forgive. But don't tie forgiveness with forgetting. You're never going to forget. Probably God forgets our sins, not us. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um. But so I, I, I like the fact how that you pointed that out. Now, in hindsight, Pastor Terry, what do you wish you would have done differently in your relation with your dad? 
And, you know, I, it's easy to ask that now. Sure. And, you know, sure. he's gone. But what what if you could go back and do it differently? And I guess this could bless a lot of men who still have a chance and they still have an opportunity. What would you do, do differently? I would uh, I would have gotten to this a lot quicker. I would allow the Lord to let me bring me to the point of owning my own responsibility in this and uh, dealt with it quicker, even to the point of uh, talking to him, speaking to him about it, having it. I guess it would have been fine for me had he been open to it, to have let him know how difficult he made life for us. A lot of things I feel like I missed out on because he, you know, his his responses and the way he acted and things like but but and i say that because i feel like i could have had a many more years of a great relationship a totally transparent relationship with him that i never had and uh never will have unless you know until we get to heaven but um i wish i had i guess garnered more and better understanding about him to the point that I would have had more of a determination or courage, whatever it took, to go and uh, sit down with him, talk to him, and uh, attempted to remove the barriers so that there would have been a. Di- I believe a, I believe there could have been a totally different relationship. The one I have with my sons, you know, that would have been nice to have that with him. You know, to want you got to understand, I didn't even want to be around him. I lived, uh, you know, a thousand miles away. And wasn't far enough away. Saw him once a year, and after five minutes, I'd had enough. So that part of my life would have would have been changed, and I think that would have made me a much better person. And Pastor, did your mom ever talk to you about your relationship with your dad and how you felt, and how how the other kids felt? Did you guys ever bring that up as a topic? Kids bring it up among themselves, but they still yeah. around her <laughs> because. The only time she said something to me was was the day I left home. Well, I was I got up to leave and we'd been in a fuss and I'd got up to leave and she said to me, "Don't leave me here. He's not well." And that's the only time she's ever said anything at all about him. And I, you know, nope, she didn't talk about it. And I don't understand that other than she's got her way of coping with it, and I guess that's how she's lived her life. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I don't. I think she know. There's no question. She knows. She don't know the extent of it, but she does know. It's just something that we never discuss. Now, wouldn't you? Um, you know, I don't know if we really would want to do it, but if you could just get into the heart of your mom to understand how, because we we look at it as from a, a child's perspective, but eventually you became a man and you moved. <laughs> you know, but your your mom was there for over fifty years with him, and you wonder how. Um, did she survive it? How did she deal with it when it was not when you deal with a person who's not receptive to to change or to to listening? Uh, it just it baffles the mind. I would tell me I would love to have a woman on the show to talk to about how did you do that? But I do have a couple of questions because we're getting close to the time past Terry. And I think I can squeeze these two in. But I really want you to speak to the man out there who because you touched on it a little bit. And I think we can't just skirt over that. That there are men who are feeling deep resentment, deep anger. And I know there's even some women who feel the same way. I've heard women say it, too. Some deep uh, resentment and deep anger to their their parents. Um, But we're talking about dads for now. And when you kind of encourage them to go, you know, 
kind of, you know, seek forgiveness and that kind of thing. They look at you sideways like um, that. No, they owe me an apology and they need to confess about the stuff they did to me as a child. They need to own it. They need. And I am not going to talk to this person unless they own it. And, and I'm tired of skirting around this issue. It's the elephant in the room. And I can't be in his presence because he won't take responsibility for what he did. And I'm sure you've heard it, too. Pastor Terry. Well, well, how do you get through to that person to let them understand? Oh, this is so much bigger than this. What, would, what do you say to that person? Well, from a spiritual standpoint, the whole idea that Paul says in First Corinthians 13 that Love chooses to keep no records of wrongs. And the torment that I mentioned in that Jesus talks about in Matthew 18, 19, you know, that's going to happen. He can't he can't protect me from my own pain as long as I hold on to something that he requires me to turn loose of. So I have to go to God and say to him. I, you know, I can't do this on my own. How am I going to do this? I have to recognize what my issues are within me and stop skirting the responsibility, Try to stop trying to deflect the responsibility to my parent, to my father, to the offender, and understand that I'm not responsible for what happened to me, but I am responsible for what happens in me. I know that's right. Amen. And so I have that responsibility, and the Lord is the only one that can help me. And then I have to come to the conclusion, as it took me all these years, look, you can tell many others what to do, but you got to do it yourself. And uh, knowing that God has been gracious, forgiving to me, as you said a while ago, willing to forget, put all that stuff behind me. And Jesus specifically tells me, if I'm not willing to do that for others, he cannot, will not do that for me. So the motivation is still personal, that I need that, and this is what he said to do. And even though we live in a world of smorgasbord, faith, whatever, choose your style, your level, whatever, this is the Jesus level. And the Jesus level is forgiveness. When he hung on the cross and when he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. I personally believe he's not being pious. He's not being religious. He's being strategic because in his dying day, he could have been bitter. And the Bible says in Proverbs, it's King James Version, a curse without a cause cannot alight. It means it cannot land like a flitting sparrows, the King James Version, a bird that's just flying around looking for a place to live. That's what the curse is about. He's trying to find a place to land. Well, if I can stay in the nature of Christ It cannot stick to me. It cannot adhere to me. And the only way for me to be free, really free, is for me not to have that stuff remaining adhered to me. And I have to, the only way to do that is forgiveness. Yeah. You know, my my heart just breaks for men because I've been there. You've been there. We've gone through this process. I remember when I had to forgive the the man who sexually abused me as a child uh, for three years. And he never confessed to it or uh, admitted it or anything. But I still had to forgive him. I still had to release him. And it has blessed me to be able to do that. And people say, how do you do it? But we like to believe that we know what God's word says. And you just reminded us that Jesus said, if you don't forgive them, how can I forgive you? 
And but yeah, we keep thinking, but God gonna make an exception for me <laughs> when it comes to that. <laughs> and God doesn't grade on a curve, you know. And so He's He's looking at it from the standpoint that He expects us to do this, and we can. And I and I'll add one more thing to it, Pastor Terry, that you don't have to do this alone. You, you you get in the community with other people, other believers who will support you. My Promise Keepers brothers supported me and helped me walk through that process of forgiveness. I don't think I could have done it by myself. Um, and so we need to lean on and depend on the people who God has blessed. God knows that we're going through this. He knows how tough it is for us. So he's not going to leave us alone. He's going to surround us with people who will stand and be like that Aaron, you know, holding up our arms as we go through that process um, to do it. And Pastor, I got one more question. And it's kind of like a personal question. And you you alluded to it earlier. So we'll, this will be my last question to you. But, you know, the Bible tells us that we need to honor our parents. And you mentioned about honoring parents. Um, if we made things right with our parents, with our dad, even our mom, how should how do we go about sharing our testimony about our childhood, especially if it was traumatic and being honest, but without dishonoring them? Is that even possible? And if so, how? Well, I hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why I'm asking. Because <laughs> I, 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 I really struggle with this myself personally. And because I don't want to dishonor my parents. But at the same time. Um, this power um, in sharing your testimony with people so people can relate and understand. But how do you do it without dishonoring them? Well, I think, let me just try to do that for my own dad, you know, because he, he, was, he was a good man. He worked hard. He raised a family. Uh, he was sexually true to my mother. He uh, did so many good things. That doesn't mean that these other things didn't exist, that they, that they don't need to be dealt with. And so, you know, we honored him. I mean, all my brothers, we did his funeral. And we made him look like he was, you know, the Pope. Wow. And we, <laughs> wow. We, and, and I'm standing there as people are coming through the line during the viewing, the night of the viewing, hundreds Hundreds of people come through and they all talk about how good he was. Well, I turned to my oldest brother who I was standing next to and I said, who are they talking about? <laughs> I did not know this man. And uh, one of the things I learned from R.T. Kendall was when you know you have forgiven, you don't go around telling others how bad they were. But that doesn't mean you don't tell about you don't testify about the effects of of what reconciliation or what forgiveness is is able to do. I listen a lot to uh, or I have in the past to Joyce Myers and what a what a story her life has been, how that the Lord has through forgiveness her choice to go to him, her choice to forgive and then go to him, how that led him to a place of wholeness. And I, th I think the motivation, Dr. Joe, is wholeness, health. It's they need it as bad as we need it. And so I do think we're honoring them in the right way, even when we have to say things that are uh, bluntly true. But uh I don't know if I if I've answered that question. No, you you sure did. You sure did, and that that because that blessed my heart to hear that. And, and I think really what jumped out at me, you said their wholeness and their um, health, they need it 
as bad as we do. And, and I, I never stopped to think about that. They need it as much as we do. And I think you're right. And even with your dad of there's a lot of good things about my parents. Um, and I see my mom often struggles with forgiving herself. I don't know if my dad struggles with that, but I, I could see it in my mom. And so I, I never looked at that. Way. She still needs wholeness and she still needs health. And so I, I'm, that's a great reminder. You know, and I, and I could go on past her and ask you even more questions, but I did get to ask the questions I wanted to ask. So I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today and being so gracious with your time. I know how busy your schedule is and you travel quite a bit, more than I do, it seems like. So, oh, but, You're but, gone forever. But, but thank you so much, especially for talking about this particular topic. Um, this has not only blessed me, but I know that it's blessed a lot of men out there who are listening. So um, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Dr. Joe. Thank you for your ministry, too, brother. Oh, my pleasure. And also, Pastor, if they wanted to find out more about, about you and what the kind of work you guys are doing at um, Dream Central and The Crossing, how could they get a hold of you or reach out to you? Well, they can go to the website, which is thecrossingchattanooga.com. And uh, I think that's the right web address. It's the Crossing I'll Church. double check it. <laughs> Please. And, uh, and then also Dream Central. We have our own website there. And that... That is really a, a, a blossoming thing for us. So, uh, uh, man, I'd love for them to look that up, too, because and if they ever want to get in touch with me, they can. I mean, they can co come through the, the church. My email, I'll just give them that. It's Terry at the at, no, back at Terry at crossing chat, which is two T's dot com. Terry at crossing chat dot com. And I'd be glad to talk to them or do whatever is helpful that I can do. I think this is the number one issue we face, brother. Oh, yeah, man. The, the father wound is is so deep. And I cannot believe that I hadn't brought a guest on like you a lot sooner to talk about it. But the great thing about podcasts is that these episodes will be archived. So which means we're probably going to release this several times, not just this one time when we release it, when they hear it for the first time. And we're going to make sure we leave your and put your contact information in the show notes. So even if we had to update it even a year from now, we can update those the contact information. So they'll be able to reach out to you if they need to. But this, I am so thankful that you came on today. And guys, listen to me and do us a call. Please do us a quick favor. And this is so important. Take about 30 seconds to go over to iTunes and rate the program. Specifically, this topic in this program we had today with Pastor Terry Harris. Let us know what you thought about it. Because it's the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears, and hearts of men just like you. And please don't keep us a secret. Share us with your friends. Guys, you've made us the number one podcast on iTunes for Christian Men. And we appreciate it. It. So until next time, I'm Joe Martin, your man builder with RealMenConnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth, but we are men by choice. So each and every day, choose to be the man God called and created you to be because a male is a terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed, and as always, stay in God's grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast, it's a mission ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com.
thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. The Real Men Connect is a listener-supported podcast, and we're now the number one radio podcast on iTunes for Christian men. If this podcast has blessed you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to bless and transform the lives of even more husbands, fathers, sons, and leaders, please prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. Just go to realmenconnect.com and click on the donate button. And may God bless your faithful giving.